All right, if you will, uh, Hebrews 5 is where we're going to start, but we'll get there in just a minute here, and uh, we're going to get rolling here. Um, as uh, we begin 2023, and I know we're a month in already, and uh, so forth, and last week was the State of the Assembly address, and uh, I didn't really talk about this, and I meant to, but when looking at the clock and it was time to be done, I, I let it go for this week. The theme of this year is going to be the Grace Reset. I always have a theme, at least for six months, and then rethink it. Last year's theme was the adversary and Satan and the satanic attack. That's when we talked about Satan and all the stuff and, and everything and God's plan and his purpose and the answer and going to Satan's church and all that stuff. And this year, I wanna, I'm going to play off of something that we've all heard and seen in the news called the Great Reset. And if you are aware of that and you pay attention to anything, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> Because it's very confusing. And so I, I went online and I was looking at it. And the, the Great Reset in, in Initiative is an economic recovery plan drawn up by the World Economic Forum in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the project was launched in June 2020. And Joe, President Biden's on it. And he's going to do this. And then now we're going to be the fourth industrial revolution. And by the way, the fourth industrial revolution is really an information revolution. But it's really an imagination nation age revolution and i'm like dude no wonder nobody can follow this stuff and everybody protests it by the way that is all right here real quick you google it you figure it out and that's okay okay and again my goal isn't to regurgitate everything that the world's doing here but rather while we're looking at what's going on in the world around us it can be very unsettling if you're not grounded in what's happening. It should never be a shock to you and I, as Bible believers, when we see the world do exactly what the adversary said it's going to do. In Isaiah 14, in verse 12 and following, the adversary says, he lays out his great I will plan, the five I wills. But in verse number 12, he says his ultimate goal, and again, is to weaken the nations, quote unquote, okay? That's his goal. So when you see things happening where nations are being weakened, you should not be shocked. You shouldn't be overwhelmed. You shouldn't have fear. You shouldn't have dread and trepidation and worry. Why? Because the book says that's what's going to happen. In the book of Genesis, in the creation, God created four institutions. He created volition. Now, volition is more than free will. Free will says that you can make a decision. Volition says, yes, you make a decision, but you're also responsible for that decision. Okay? So volition is a little more intense than just free will. And he gave that to man. The greatest risk that God took in creation was given man volition. The ability to make a decision and then be accountable for it. Then he came, comes in and he institutes marriage and family, the basic building blocks of society and culture. And if you want to destroy society, you destroy family and marriage, and then the society goes away. When you look at the great empires of the world, they collapse from within, and what did they do? There's an attack on the family and an attack on marriage. Ultimately, there's an attack then on volition, where you can't decide we, the government, will decide for you. That's why in Romans 13, when Paul talks about 
our relationship to the government. He talks about the evil, something very specific. Because the three institutions can't defend themselves. So God institutes nationalism, Genesis 10. And in nationalism is designed to protect the, uh, the front three, the first three. So what does the adversary do? He says, I'm going to make internationalism. And we're going to have a one world, a one world language, a one world government, a one world religion. And when that happens, what does it do to the institution of nationalism? You guys saw what happened with the EU when Britain left, when they joined. What does it do? It weakens them. And that's the goal of the adversary. So when you see, by the way, you guys have heard woke. Are you woke? And the woke mindset, that's a, you, if you think about what's happening there, that simply means, are you aware, are you awake to the hidden agenda that causes all of the injustices in the world? That's what he's talking about. I know what the media does and all that stuff, but you need to understand where that's coming. That isn't coming from anybody except from the course of this world. It's, it's right here in the pages of our Old Testament. You see it over and over again. All of that comes from the Marxist, the Marxist philosophy called critical theory. Critical theory and intersectionalism are two theory points that come in and they get applied to society. And there you have social uh, structure. They get applied to culture. They redefine the power structures. And it all leads to the weakening of the nations. Intersectionalism has to do where injustice and equality come together, where they intersect. And one is this and one is that. And that what they're designed to do, again, is to simply do nothing but cause stress and division and chaos in a culture, in a, in a society. That's what they're designed to do. That's all it's designed to do. And you can dress up a pig and make it look pretty, but guess what? It's still a pig. So, I, and I say that, and, and you know, critical race theory—that's part of critical, the the the. Uh, it's, that's part of the critical theory, the main main uh, Marxist doctrine. All right, and I'm not going to give you a history lesson. You guys know that. I don't need to do that. It's, I'm not going to do that. But what happens is, is this stuff causes real problems in our society. And when it causes real problems in our society, then society begins to look for an answer. And they never get the answer to racism, to sexism, poverty, and all of the lists that gets thrown at it. And they never get that because the church as a whole has failed to provide the right answer. So when the church has failed to provide the real answer, you guys have seen the memes on Facebook and social media out there that it's not a gun problem, it's a heart problem. But when the church at large has failed to provide the answer, then what does the world do? They go looking for an answer. So they embrace the Marxist ideas of wokeism and critical theory and all of that nonsense. And then you and I look at it and go, oh, no, what's going on? And we should never go, oh, no. We should recognize that we failed as a church at large. And let's be on guard to that. And let's be careful with that. Because the real answer sits in the truth of God's Word. 
And if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, then the world's going to find the answer somewhere. I was talking to some Mormon boys, Mormon guys on the pedal bikes uh, several years ago. And they were, I mean, they were hammering big time. And I just kept saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. What you're telling me I have to do to go to heaven, I can't do. And there was a, I, so much forward, the one guy was frustrated. He was turning his bike around ready to leave. And I said, but I can tell you about a guy who never will fail, who will always be consistent, always. And I, and I gave him the gospel. And the guy that was ready to go back, he says, yeah, we've heard this before. And off he went. But if you don't give that answer, if you don't put truth on the table, truth will never be considered. The last great awakening in this country came out of the 60s. You guys remember the cycles and we looked at the, the turnings and how we're in the winter time in this country? That's why you see stuff dying. In the winter, what happens? Things die. That's what happens. But also in the winter, you make your plans for the next spring of what you're going to plant and what you're, what's going to come up. And the, great, the last great awakening in our national history came out of the 60s. But do you know what came out of the 60s? For the very first time in this country, came out of the 60s the great awakening of no Bible and no God. Came out of the 60s was Phil Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, and the New Age mentality. Don't be surprised when you go out in the world and deal with it that what are they? They have no Bible and they have no God because they weren't ready, raised in it. So then what do we go with? We go with what? the God of the Bible, and we preach and teach Christ crucified. If you and I are going to have an impact on our society and our community around us, we have to provide the answer. We can't sugarcoat it with the guise of, I don't want to offend it. Truth is offensive, folks, because it's truth. Well, I don't want to offend him. No, it's truth. Paul says to the Galatians, do I, am I, I'm scared of you, man. I give you the truth and you guys are just railing on me. That's what it is. The answer is going to have to be us who take the truth of God's word and preach it and stand on it rightly divided. COVID-19, the pandemic and the shutdown of everything demonstrated how how out of touch the church at large is to the community around us. The megachurches are down. They're spiraling. They won't tell you that, but they are. You know why? Because now everybody can stay home, watch it on TV. Watch it stream. Pick it up later. Do this, do that. We can go to the ball game this week because I can just YouTube it next day. That crushes them. Their marketing plans aren't working right now. <laughs> For every two that are leaving the front door, five, or every two coming in the front door, five are going out the back door. The last numbers I saw in 2021-ish. They're not going to have the answer. They don't have the answer. You and I do. That's why I want to spend the as ever long as it takes to have a grace reset with you. In the post-Christian world, folks, that's how you have to think about this world is post-Christian. 
You and I, we live in the time of the first century of our Apostle Paul, where it was dangerous to be a Christian. Nero killed Christians, set them up. You go read the history books. Google, by the way. Google, you'll get like three million pages. You know, it's just unreal. That's where we live today, is a post-Christian world. But you know what? That's exciting. Because can you imagine going and talking to someone for the very first time about where they're going to spend eternity, and they don't come to you with all of the religious garbage? They come to you with a blank sheet, and they're looking for an answer. You know, when money runs scared, when money runs tight, people get real basic real quickly. That's what's happening. When we talk about the the grace, the <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's a diff, it's it's a different world that we live in today than just twenty something twenty years ago. It's changing that fastly, that rapidly. By the way, that fourth revolution. Industrial revolution, it's information and imagination, and and it's all about technology, and it's moving. I saw a report just last night on the news on how they got a hospital where AI does all the diagnosing now. AI's doing it, a computer's doing it, and they're training it, and they're teaching it how to do that. And that they, oh, and they said, but we'll never replace the doctor. Well, yeah, there's an insurance company that's going to say you better have a doctor in the room. But what are they doing? They're having the computer. All that's changed. And it gets scary. But if you don't understand the word rightly divided, guess what you're going to think that stuff is? The mark of the beast. And it's not. Mark of the beast has nothing to do with it because you understand what we're doing, what God's doing today. It's critical, folks, not to lose the truth. By the way, it's critical not to lose touch with our history. I'll give you a prime example. Music. That hymn book that sits in here. Everybody wants a rock and roll band. Jitterbug Jesus music, as Dad calls it. No. You, our kids need to understand what it is to sing the songs that the saints have sung for hundreds of years. They need to sit here. They, they need to hear you and I sing like soldiers sing. You ever hear the soldiers? You ever hear the Army-Navy game? And at the end, when, the arm, when the, those boys are singing their school armada songs, they're not, oh, praise Jesus. Or boom, ba-bam, they're letting it rip. Why? Well, I don't sing very well. It doesn't matter because we lose touch with our, with our roots, with our history. That impacts the future, by the way. Because why do you do what you do? Well, we've always done it this way. No, we've done it because saints have done this for hundreds of years. We may have to change a word here or there. That, the song Beulah Land. I love that song. But we had to change it because we're not in Beulah Land. You know? We don't go live in the mansions in heavenly places. So you have to do what? We, we said in Christ alone. Instead of dwelling in Beulah Land, we dwell where? In Christ alone. Well, so we just make a little doctrinal change. That's nothing. A lot of them we don't. We just, you know, understand. But the grace reset. You got Hebrews 5? Now, that's all intro. <laughs> that's why I said, don't think the short list means it's a short morning. <laughs> okay? I asked Linda, I said, "How like, uh, when should I be done? She goes, noon. <laughs> so I better get going. <laughs> I lost my kneecaps last time. I got them back on right now. 
No, but so when we talk about the grace reset, folks, you, you don't need me to worry you about life. You're in it. You see it. But what, how are we going to get through it? How are we going to handle it? What is to be our thinking? What is to be our mode? And, and, and honestly, we're going to need some maturity about it. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, by the way, the writer of Hebrews is God, 1-1, one, one, first word. It's interesting in the epistles, the writer of the epistles always starts the epistle off. There's only one that doesn't, and that's 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John. He doesn't start the epistle with John. All the other ones do. James, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So where's the book of James going? The 12 tribes, not you, them. Peter writing to the little flock and the believers. The John, that's the apostle John, he writes that. Jude, Jude, talk, Revelation. So it's interesting. God wrote, writes Hebrews. Now who the human author is, we don't know. But notice what, he, what God says, what the Word of God says in Hebrews 5.13. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? Babe. Babe how? Spiritually. If you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you're unskillful in the word. Now, that's what Hebrews 5 says. Well, but Rick, you know, I know the Bible. It doesn't say you don't know the Bible. It says what? Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. But now watch verse 14, because here's what it is. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Isn't that interesting? Here's adults. Here's maturity. Full age. Grown up. But, you're, but even as a grown up, you're still what? Growing. You still learn. Okay? Somebody asked one time to me, do you, do you know any... How many verses do you know? I said, not enough. Why? Because you still learn and you still grow. But, I'm sorry, uh, that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, see that issue of reason of use? You know how to use God's word correctly. Isn't that interesting? You want to be mature, you've got to have to know how to use the word of God who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, so maturity comes in and says, here's how we're going to use God's Word, rightly divided, and that is designed to produce an understanding in our inner man of how God thinks about things in life. That produces maturity when I take that thought process and I come over here and I can discern between good and evil. That's important. That's what's going to be needed. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul will tell the Corinthians... He says to the Corinthians, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And everybody goes, Wow, look at that boy, what a thing Paul did there. But yet that's a rebuke to the Corinthians because in the next chapter he calls them babes in Christ. He says, For ye, I'm, I'm not in Philippians, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 3. Hold on to Philippians. He says, For 
ye, uh, if I have fed you with milk and not with meat. What did he feed them? What did he give to the Corinthians? That Christ died for their sins and was buried and rose again the third day. He couldn't go on. He only could give them that. He just called Calvary milk. That's fascinating to me. He says, the only thing I can know amongst you at this moment, Corinth, is milk. And that's the gospel. Now, Corinthians fixed it. They're, they're growing. They're getting it. They're wanting to be a part of everything and so forth by the end of 2 Corinthians. They're getting there. But my point is, is maturity is what's going to be needed here. But maturity isn't coming from, well, I'm 54 and I know better. No, you don't. I'm 54 and I know I'll, I will be 53. I'm added a year there. Doggone it, man. Some of, somebody's supposed to say, no, that doesn't mean I know it at you're at 75. You don't know it all. Sorry. It's still growing. Maturity comes in and says, you know what? This is milk. We put it right there. This goes here. We put it right there. And we're going to do. Look at Philippians 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Look at that love. That's not wooshy, mushy, gushy, love, love one another. That's a mental attitude. That's a thinking about things the way God would think about them. Coming along and looking and being able to discern good from evil and looking at the things that sit on our life's table. The mind, our life's mind of, on the table here and saying, you know what? Here's the more excellent thing. Notice the issue in there in verse 9, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Judgment is the ability to discern the greater value. What's, the, what's more important here? What's the greater value? What's going to come into my life that's going to bring value to it and life to it? That's what we're talking about. By the way, we're just introducing Grace Reset today, okay? You see, the maturity is the capacity to take the truth of God's Word and apply it to the details of life and to find the, that thing of greater value and go do that. That's going to be the key to the grace life. That's what we're going to be talking about. You're going to come in and we're going to just, again, reset our thinking about things. For some, never heard this. For others, oh, here we go again. No, 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 no. And by the way, if that is your attitude, shame on you. You're in Philippians. Look over at chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren. I love that. Finally, my brethren. He goes on for two more chapters. <laughs> so you know what that means in preacher lingo. Absolutely nothing. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now watch. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. The safety of God's word. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're going to look at some things here over the coming weeks. We're going to look at you, how God made you, designed you to function and to, and to absorb things and to work through things. We're going to look at that. We're going to spend a couple weeks and we're going to dig into that a little bit with you. We're going to spend some time talking about the grace life. We're going to spend some time talking about the what we are. On the overhead, we got those five points of who we are. We're going to talk about just reset our thinking here. The world isn't going to do it. The world's going to bombard you. 
We're going to reset our thinking. The grace resets. We're going to look at those things. We're going to look at the grace life. We're going to look at the different aspects that come up. Why? Because there's where maturity comes from. How do you know that? 2 Timothy 3. Just watch here. Verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. (laughs) There it is. Folks, we've been in the last days since the end of Paul, the last of Paul. Paul is the one that set forth the last days. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what's going to happen. And again, for us Bible believers, we should never be surprised. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, that starts, the whole pro- all the problem is right there. So from verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 and 6, 7, 8, 9, down to verse 10, the problems listed there come from men shall be lovers of their own selves. All the problems come from that. Now watch verse 10. But thou, I love that, hast fully known my what? My doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord deliver me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, Watch, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Wow. The world's falling apart. Men are getting worse and worse. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you know it. It's right there. He just told you it was going to happen. By the way, just for context, he's talking about the church at large in this passage. He's not talking about the unbelieving world. That's a given. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ, and people leaving Paul, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Verse 5, from such turn away. Notice what he's doing. You know the truth of God's word rightly divided. Verse 14 is the answer. What do we do? We continue. Thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What do we do? We keep, we keep on keeping on, don't we? We carry on. Folks, when all the other is overwhelming, when all of that stuff out there just comes pressing down on you, our mantra, our drive is to keep on because we know the truth. We know what it is reality. We are going to take the truth that God gave us, and that is what is real. And that is what is the issue. Verse 10, he sets it forward in a wonderful way. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Wow. He tells the the elders of Ephesus, I left nothing back from you. I gave it all to you. Paul's not saying you got guesswork. He says, you know it all, folks. It's there. It's given to us. It's It's been fully revealed and when we understand it when we possess an understanding of paul's doctrine who we are what god's doing today 
Wow, what a joy that is to have in life. When the chaos sets in, when you see the boys on whatever alphabet TV you like to watch, or whatever internet site you like to visit, and they're grumbling and they're making this prog, and you can just say, you know what? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all that's going to go away. And when he comes back in the second coming, they're going to, it's really going to go away. And I don't need, I can be focused right over here. And I don't have to give in to fear and the trouble. Come over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This, it, this is what we are to do, folks. We're to carry on. We're to have a reset. By the way, uh, well, I'll, I'll get into that next week. First Timothy 1. You don't know how hard it is not to just let's go for about five hours and get all this out for you. <laughs> okay? But then I will really be dead meat. Okay? Look at First Timothy 1. Look at verse 3. First Timothy, Paul says the local church is in charge. Here's what the local church is they're in charge. They're the vehicle. And he starts it in verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So what are we to do? Don't change the doctrine. See that? Don't entertain a change based on and looking out for unity. Air quotes. A lot of doctrine has died on the altar of so-called unity. You know what unity is? You give up what you believe and join us and we're all in unity. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Teach no other doctrine. I, evidently, there's some folks there that have begun to do what? Teach other doctrine. The great church at Ephesus. Now watch verse 4. Neither give heed to fables. Well, we know what fables are, don't we? Story. It's story time. It's not Bible. Paul doesn't pay. Paul says, don't pay any attention to the stories. They are not true. Now, the stories may be powerful, and they may reach into your and grab your emotions and jerk them along a little bit. By the way, that's why knowing how you're made is important. Because when your emotions take charge, uh, well, stupid is what stupid does. That's what happens. Doesn't say don't have emotion. It just says they're not to be in charge. Don't get into the stories. You've all heard stories that just make you, you know, give you uh, uh, goosebumps and tingle and woo hoo. And you know what Paul says? It ain't true. God's not working that way. He's doing something else. And endless genealogies. That's the who's who. Our preacher went to so and so, or I went to. I studied at this cemetery or seminary, sorry, and I went to here and I went to there. Yeah, you, you caught that. See, I no, it isn't that. Who who are we to be? Who but continue in the things that thou hast heard of who of Paul and learn from Paul. You see, but I'm sorry, verse four. In the which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So what are we to do? We're to godly edify, edific, edifice, edification, a, a building, a structure of sound doctrine in your inner man. So that when life comes on you, 
The wife is nagging on you. The husband is ignoring you. And the kids just are being the kids, the savages that they are. And you know what you can do? You can reach in and it says, husbands, love your wives. And you go over there and be not bitter against them. Wives, submit your, okay, I can do this. And children, obey. And you know what you do? You didn't do anything that you're not already doing. You're just taking it and applying it in. Now watch verse 5. Now the end of the commandment. All right, now what's the commandment? I, ver, verse 3, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The end of the commandment is what? Charity. Out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith unfair. You see, the end of it, what is the goal? Charity. So now that means we've got to understand something about charity. What it isn't and what it is. Charity is a result of the formula. What's the formula? Doctrine. Not the fables and endless genealogy, but the what? The edification. What's the result? What's the end? What's the sum of the matter? Charity. Charity, it's not loving one another. People come in and they leave and, you know, they'll say, well, you just guys aren't charitable. I told one guy, I said, you have no idea what charity charitable is. We're to, we're to by love serve one another. That's a different thing than charity. Charity comes in, and I'm going to think about this, and I'm going to esteem this and them the way that God does. Charity is love in action, if you need the word love in there. All the new Bibles change that word charity to love, and, and they just they, they do it because they don't understand what your translators were doing. Okay? So they go to the agape love. I said it wrong. Agape. And they go to phileo. There's, three, there's four Greek words that love comes from. One's not even in your Bible. Two of them, actually all three of them are used interchangeably. You go over there to, you guys are looking at me funny. <laughs> Think about this. Look at, go, go, to, go get John 3. Just go get John 3. Just look at this. This isn't in the notes. Because what happens is, folks, charity comes from being taught the truth. Charity comes from the being edified in the truth. Charity comes from developing spiritual maturity, and it, and it comes over there, and it comes from a maturity of the edification of God, and it's designed to produce life. It's designed to, prove a, to, to provide a love of the truth. You got John 3? Here's charity for you. John 3, you see verse 19? And this is the con uh, condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What does men love? Darkness. You see that word loved? That's the Greek word agape. God's love, as Strong's defines it. You see that? But wait a minute. That's man's love of what? Of darkness. Whoa, how can that be? But it is. You go over there to the end of the book of John, and Peter, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Yes, I do. Do you agape me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you, do you agape me? I phileo you. Phileo is the other one. Interchangeable. That's what you learn. Now, just think about this. Men love darkness rather than light. Now, come over to... 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 
By the way, there's a reason why this chapter sits here in the sign gift, because this is what the Corinthians were not doing, demonstrating charity. 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 6. Charity, so agape, rejoiceth not in what? Iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Wait a minute. Men, agape darkness more than light. See, agape love there is where? In the darkness. But wait a minute. Agape love it rejoices not in iniquity. You see how confusing we just got? So keep it what? Keep it where, the, where your translators put it. Charity is there for a reason. Because it's taking all the doctrine, all of the truth. Charity is the goal. Now come back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Charity is the goal. Char- the maturity of the edification that's designed to produce in life the love of the truth. Charity is connected with teach no other doctrine. So if I'm teaching another doctrine, I will never have charity because they are connected. They have to be. So when they say, oh, you guys over there at Southwest aren't very charitable, they have no idea what charity is. They're going off based off of Dr. So-and-so's book. And he's not, and that's, anyway. 2 Timothy 1. Notice this. I'll get off my charity rant. It's not really a rant. It's I want you to know and understand. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words. 2 Timothy 1, 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Form of sound words. Sound. Soundness. Sound in your Bible is talking about life-giving. Where are the words that are going to produce life in your life? Sound words are. Form. In 1 Timothy 1, he calls it a pattern. Form. You set the form up. Here's the foundation. Here's the the form, and we're going to pour in some sound words. What are we to do? We're to hold fast. We're to hold fast the words that produce spiritual life in my life so that when I come up and I'm trying to determine what the greater things are, the more valuable things are, is reading your Bible good? Yeah. But is reading your Bible on the job good? No. Because you're on the job, you need to be on the job. You're getting paid. You need to be honest with the man there. But if you're over, so reading your Bible, it isn't a yay or nay. It's the context we sit in. Is having a job good? Well, yeah, unless you're retired. That means you've had a job. My neighbor, he just retired. He was 31 years with uh, with the airlines. But for 31 years, he worked 16 hours every shift. So he goes, really, I've worked 61 two years. <laughs> You know, he's a millionaire. He don't. He ain't worried about it. But the thing is, is, is having a job appropriate? Yeah. Why? Because the book says, "Dummy, get a job." If you don't, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. Provide. Do you made the decisions? Get in there and do it. He doesn't say work the system. Sorry. 
Hold fast the form. Keep, verse 14. Keep what the distinctive ministry of the Apostle Paul gave us. The form, the structure. There's a way that God has framed this. Formed the structure. And structured the information in His Word. And that, and that, that manner, that frame, that pattern, that way that He's struck, it's designed to give you a healthy, long, spiritual life. Come over to Romans 1. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk Romans 1. We're going to talk here about God doesn't want no wimpy believers. He doesn't. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be grounded. He wants you to know. He wants you to grow. He wants you to learn. He wants you to motivate. Look, look, look at Romans 1. Just notice this. Verse 11. The first book here in the process of laying in the edification. The ground, we're at the ground level here. When they built the Sears Tower in Chicago, we went over and watched them, and we looked way down. Now it's called the Willis Tower. So we always, what you talking about, Willis? You know, but really it's the Sears Tower if you grew up there. And we would go over and we would look way, and they were going way down in the depths and the bowels down there. Why? To put in the foundation. So when that building would sway in the wind, it wouldn't sway all the way over. It would do what it's supposed to do. I don't know if you've ever been on the top of that thing. I have in 50 mile an hour winds and that building was rocking. Like, all right, let's get going here. And bloop, we're out of here <laughs> from the other way. Why? Because th there's a foundation. Romans 1.11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. By the way, the spiritual gift's going to turn out to be doctrine. That's what he's wanting to give you. The gift of doctrine. To the end, ye may be established. Set it up. Install it. Get it in there. Now, you know what? I have this crazy idea that I've learned over the years, that when Paul says, I want to do something, I'm going to let Paul tell me how he's going to do it. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm going to let him, because if I keep reading, you know what he's going to do? Verse 12, he's going to tell me how he's going to do what, what it. What does it mean to be established? How do I get established? That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the, what? Mutual faith, both of you and me. There's a mutual of Omaha here. There's a mutual faith. That we share some things in common. We share in a common faith here. Your establishment for the believer is for you to understand what Paul is teaching. The way that Paul teaches. And when we share in common with Paul, when we've got all the information in the form that he puts it in, we're being established. Now come over to chapter 16. The end of the matter. The end of the book. He starts the book. I want to give you some doctrine that's going to establish, set you up, get you moving, get you growing, get you laying in the, the four pillars of the, of the foundation and get it all there. At the end, verse 25, Now to him that is of power to, notice, establish you. Do you see the word stable? I'm not stable in chapter 1. 
Actually, I'm not even stable all the way in chapter 8 because I don't even know how to pray as I ought. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. See, I'm not fully matured yet. I'm moving. Now, I'm what? Established. You according to my gospel. There's the book of Romans. And, next tier, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. And, by the way, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of mystery, that's Ephesians. You go over there, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 down through there, and he says, I'm the preacher, I get the... Look over here, come on. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, since the the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, the mystery, the secret, was never spoken in the time past. It's not back there. You can't find it. It's not there. It's revealed by the due time testifier, the Apostle Paul. Verse 3, As I wrote a four and a few words, Whereby when ye read, again, you know what's wrong with the church at large today? They don't read their Bible. If you were honest and you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you would know that something different happened in the middle of Acts. Just by reading. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now that's different than how he, he verse 3, Paul got it by revelation, directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I come to understand it by the work of the Holy Spirit through His Word. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister. I mean, look at that. And you can keep reading that. Go back there to verse 25. What does he do? He says, guys, I want to have common mutual faith with you. And you know how you're going to do it? We're going to do it the way God's doing it. And he starts with my gospel and Romans, and then he moves you into the preaching of Jesus Christ, the, the next advanced doctrine of Hebrews. And, by the way, the scriptures of the prophets, here's how it's all going to work together in concert with all of the scriptures. Okay, verse 26, he says, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. God put his word together in that order. That's why Romans is Romans. It's first. That's why it works through the way it does. Now, come over with me to 2 Timothy 2. There's a design to this. And as we go through that design, the process, we're going to be resetting grace, if you will, for you. And we'll have the grace reset. 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, wonderful verse. What does Paul say? Consider what I say. And the Lord give the understanding in what? All things. Peter in 2 Peter 3 says, you read Paul, guys, there's some things in there hard to be understood. You know what Paul says? Nothing hard here. You're going to have an understanding in all of it. But you need me. 
You want to have understanding in all things? You know who you have to acknowledge? Who you have to follow? Who you have to believe? It's the message and ministry given to the Apostle Paul. If you don't, you won't understand all of it. You'll have pieces. You just won't have that complete understanding. Romans 15. So the, the reset of grace, the grace reset, just introduced it to you this morning. It's going to take maturity. And maturity is a use of the Word of God to get my senses honed in so I can look at things and discern what is the greater value to do. And the way that he's going to do it is he's got a process. It's called godly edification. There's an edification. Starts in Romans, works through the books of Corinthians and Galatians, starts back over in Ephesians, works through the books of Philippians and Colossians, goes back over for, for Thessalonians, works all through. And you know what you do? If you just, again, you're never going to understand all of it. But let that all be, let all of it be your guiding light. Okay? Romans 15, verse 13. When we were going through Romans 15 here, I often think about this verse. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Man, hope in what he's doing today. How do I have that? I build that sound doctrine up in my inner man. Without having that sound doctrine, you have no hope. Because you're going to think that they're going to try to redo all this stuff. And that, that will impact you, I understand. Economically and socially, I get that. But it doesn't have to overwhelm you. Hope. I love that. The God of hope. His hope. What he's doing today. I'm going to build that in. That sound doctrine found in Romans. That's specifically the context. And it's through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost power in your life, folks, works only through the written word of God. It doesn't work anywhere else. It never has in all of Scripture. You go back in the Old Testament and you see the Holy Spirit working, the Word is right there. Actually, you just see it in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved across the faces of the deep, the waters. Verse 3, And God said, and off they go. And then the work they go. So the grace reset is going to be that just reset of some things. You've never heard? Or you're very familiar with. Because the world's not going to let up on it. And you and I need to know how to stand, how to protect our family, our local assembly, in this present evil world, as Paul would call it. And we're going to do so by understanding the truth. And having that be, two times Paul says, what saith the scripture? And that's, the, that's going to be the mantra. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have in your Son. We thank you for all that you've given to us in him. In your name we pray. Amen.